Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live in the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. If you'd like to join these lives, watch past replays, or get any of the written summaries I do for these weekly, please head to the link in the show notes, drop me a comment, I'm happy to help you out. Now, let's get on with the episode. Alright, so this week let's talk about injury prevention and how it might specifically apply to runners and ultra runners, right? So I got into this because I was listening to a podcast, I think it was Jason Coop's podcast that pushed me towards a study, and in that study, the injury rate of ultra runners per year seemed to be somewhere in the realm of 50%. And they defined injury as having to take at least one day off of training, and most people, for most people, is more. And granted, there's not a lot of data on ultra runners, but that number is still high, still really high. And that was actually the lowest number. Another study in there said it was closer to 65. And then some of the coaches I talked to put it even higher when they see where their athletes are throughout the year. So why are, why are we injured at such high rates? It seems ridiculous to me. Um, and I get it. I've been hurt a lot, so it's not judgment. I, I'm genuinely curious, so I kind of went down this road. And really, it's that running is complicated, and I don't think a lot of us really appreciate how complicated it is. We do it as children. We play sports. We run in some level. Um, or have some memory of running, and as a result, when we go in and try to really get into it as a sport, we go too hard, too fast. And we are not going to get the rate to zero, right? Like, somebody is going to get hurt when it comes to running yearly. It might be you. Um, you might do everything you possibly could to take care of yourself, still step in a hole covered in leaves that look like flat ground, twist your ankle and get injured, right? Like injuries happen, but we can reduce the risk and like minimize damage when we get that injury. And <clears throat> when we look at training, one way to do this is try and hit this, like what Michael Krasinski called the golden channel between minimum effective dose and maximum recoverable, recoverable volume. If you want to see that in detail, like you can check it out and enjoy your 50K. Um, Brody Sharp also does a great job of discussing this on the Run Smarter podcast. But most of us get injured when we go too hard too fast. We need to push hard enough to create a change or create an adaptation. But if we push too hard, we, we go beyond the ability that we can recover and we start to get hurt. And we need to ease in a little bit and give ourselves a break. This, so if we're, if we're just starting out, kind of start easy. Don't just go try to crush a 10K, like move yourself into it. If you're just trying to start to train for a new goal, don't jump your volume by 20, 20 miles a week. Like make these slow increases so you can actually create the adaptations that you're trying to create. This is also true if you are a decent athlete who's just getting into running. If you were a decent swimmer, right? Like you probably have a very good aerobic base. 
you probably have a good amount of like good working muscle, but you very likely don't have the tendon and bone strength needed for the constant repetitive pounding that you get as a runner. So we need to ease into this activity, whether it be as a new runner or from a time off. And that might just be, hey, you went, it's winter, you spent a lot of time skiing, and now we're getting back into running season. Don't start your volume where you were in August. Ease back into it. You might see that you can make like really pretty fast increases compared to many people. The 10% rule is not a rule. Nobody knows where it came from. It applies to some people. It's overly cautious for many, but we need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and really building, building a base, be that from tendon strength, bone strength, muscular strength, or that aerobic base that y'all know I'm working on right now. And when we look at like what this overall volume or overall training might look like, we can see it on three, like three different facets. There's volume, so how much training you're doing in say a week, intensity, how hard you're pushing, can measure that by heart rate or muscle breakdown or whatever, um, and frequency, how often you're doing it. And those three added up are going to ultimately like push you through that channel of adaptation. And if you do get injured, take a day or two off. I'm gonna say this again later, but you're not gonna lose fitness. It takes a week of being like completely sedentary, like coma level, not moving sedentary to create like to start to see a reverse in fitness. So take a couple days off, maybe go for a walk, do some mobility work and help yourself recover. So in addition to going too hard, too fast, we also, I don't see a lot of people hitting everything from all the facets, right? Like we run, we look at running programs, we might occasionally look at some race day nutrition, but you're a whole athlete. And there's a lot of things we need to look at and not all of them might apply to you, but we need to look at all of them and kind of understand a little bit of where we are if we're going to avoid that injury and like create as much success as we can. So most run programs aren't really personalized and that goes beyond run scheduling. If you're going to follow a pre-made program, then make sure you're already at a decent starting volume. Um, in her book, who is it? Chrissy Mel. Uh, provides running plans. They're pretty good, especially for pre-made, but she also gives you suggestions and recommendations for how much you should be running when starting one of these programs. So even though there's a hundred mile program in there over the course of a few months, if you aren't already running, I think it's like 40 miles per week, you're not actually ready to start it. We need to have that base volume to get going. So we need to follow a program that's fit for us, and that includes the starting volume of running before we even get into the scheduled things of like intervals and tempo runs and whatever we might need to hit our goals. Most program, many programs also include little to no strength training. And those that do, the strength is often too light. So I'll see some pulses or I'll see 30 reps of something Unless you're within, say, like six weeks of your race, lifting should be difficult. This is how we create these adaptations. If you're doing 30 reps of an exercise, you are much closer to doing cardio with weights than you are actually doing resistance training. 
if you and if you do 10 reps and don't feel anything, we're not really making progress. We need to challenge the body a little bit. You should have a couple reps left in the tank. We shouldn't go to failure, but it should be hard. And it's not even to say you need to lift heavy barbells or heavy dumbbells or whatever. I built a lot of strength in my past through nothing but body weight work, but it was still really hard. Like pull-up progressions to one-arm one type pull-ups, um, squat progressions towards single leg squats, bridging, all of this stuff. Like we can make it so it's the correct level of difficulty without equipment, but we still need to create the, a challenging nature. I see strength programs for like 50, 100, $150, that teach nothing in regards to personalization. It's just a list of, say, 10 to 15 weeks of programming that you're supposed to follow. And that's not really how it works. It needs to be personal to you and the muscles you need to build. If you have fairly weak hamstrings, we should probably work on those more than your quads. Most runners should likely do that anyway. Um, I think it's like 80% have some fairly decent quad dominance. But we need to have a strength program that actually builds up your deficiencies and helps you where you need help. And if you're going to follow a plug and play program, get a cheap one or one for free and then learn how to adapt it. There's a book like Strength Training for Endurance Athletes and it is 20 bucks of a great like investment on how to maybe make some of these adaptations yourself if you're not able to hire a trainer or invest in a more expensive program. And then we also see very little talk about food and sleep. So if you don't eat enough calories to support your training, you will get injured. And if you're not eating the right types of foods to support your training, you will also get injured. It is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. You're pushing yourself towards REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport. For years, it was called the female athlete triad. We've seen a huge uptick in very similar symptoms in men. So it has been um, reclassified re to include both genders, but we're seeing a lot of imbalance when it comes to calorie intake and output, and it's leading to injuries. You cannot support a 70-mile week on 1,200 calories per day. You also can't support a 70-mile week on nothing but macaroni and cheese. You need protein, you need micronutrients, you need to take care of yourself when it comes to food, fuel enough, and fuel appropriately. And I'll get back to that a little bit later. We also see the same with sleep. If you don't sleep, you cannot recover. I've said this more than once, um, but you cannot create adaptations. If you don't sleep, we don't produce enough human growth hormone or testosterone to recover. And if you don't get enough REM sleep, you can't mentally recover. And ultra running is a huge mental sport. If you're seeing mental fatigue, you're more likely to make mistakes and you're more likely to get injured. So people need different amounts of sleep but most people don't get enough, myself probably included. And if we wanna know more about this, I did a whole video on sleep in this group. If you missed it, please just drop a comment and I will get you the link to that video. There's a very rare person that needs about six hours per night and it's very likely not you. Most people need at least seven hours to even start to hit those proper amounts of sleep and types of sleep they need to get recovery, especially as we start to increase our training volume. I also see very little discussion of tendon strength. So running is a fairly tendon 
heavy sport or it's fairly like rough on your tendons and ligaments if you're not used to it and i personally most i'll definitely get that to you as soon as, as soon as we're done here i'll drop that in the comments thank you um and then as so tendons is also a, a big thing and i experienced this i probably have a like minor tear in one of my ligaments in my knee i definitely have bursitis um and there's a <clears throat> not enough stress played or put on improving that particular brand of strength or stability. And I also did a video on this a few weeks ago um, that I've been testing Delia. I'll, I'll drop that in the comments for sure. Um, sleep video, hell yeah. So I like have enough issues with my own tendons and ligaments that it became a thing that I kind of ended up on a rabbit hole down. And so I found a tendon program that will work. There's another video. If you want that, I'll drop that in the comments as well. Um, but it is, we need to strengthen these and give them the right nutrients to, to support tendon building. It's tough on the tendons. It's tough on the ligaments. Most of us don't eat enough um, collagen, and it doesn't need to be in a powder. I just mean we don't eat enough of collagen to support tendon growth. And then we overwork them through running a lot, and we end up with either tendonitis, which is inflammation of the tendon, or tendinosis, which is like micro tears in the tendon, and we end up with problems. So no matter what, we need to take care of them. We need to build them appropriately. We probably need to preload a little bit. And then we should probably also have some understanding of the difference between tendinitis and tendinosis. It is tough to diagnose. I'm certainly not the one to do it. That'd be a physical therapist or a doctor. But tendinitis is inflammation in your tendon. So if you're experiencing true tendinitis, what we want to do is reduce inflammation. And tendinosis is minor tears in the tendon. So what if we're doing there? We need to have some more collagen to support the repair, some vitamin C and fat-soluble nutrients like vitamin A, D, E, and K in order to support proper repair. So it's not like you need to diagnose this. It's one of these things is not necessarily mutually exclusive from the other. If you're having tendon issues, I would reduce... Um, some take time off, one, don't make it worse, two, reduce some of your inflammatory foods, so eat a lot lower on the carb front, since you're going to be moving a lot less, eat a lot more vegetables, eat a lot more like high quality whole foods that you can recognize, and then you can also support that a little bit with some collagen, either powder or gelatin, or eat the, eat the gristle off your meat, whatever route you want to take, but make sure that we're getting enough of that collagen to help our tendons restructure, right? So that'd be like a two phase and you don't need to know the cause, they will help work with one another. And then, oh man, this one, hydration. So I also don't see, like, I see a lot of discussion about hydration and that's good because it's super important. For, for one, um, very relevant to this group, most nutrition issues I see are hydration issues. If you're dehydrated, you cannot digest food. And if you're dehydrated, your heart rate will also sit a bit higher and you won't get as much out of your training because your body doesn't actually care about your heart rate. It cares about oxygen delivery. So if your blood plasma is a little lower, then your heart needs to work harder and pump more blood to get the same amount of oxygen to your muscles. And so we need to stay hydrated. <clears throat> we need to work into that place that will help us get the most out of our training and keep us healthy. 
And one thing that frustrates me is I often see universal recommendations for water intake. And they might be very good for the general populace. They're not great for people who are doing 10 plus hours of workouts per week, right? People vary widely when it comes to your water needs. And the same person can vary different points in the year or depending where you are. If I'm in, the, if I'm in Vermont in the winter, it is a little more humid there, it is um, colder, I'm gonna need a lot less water than if I were in Arizona in the summer. Trust me, I lived in Arizona in the summer. I drank a lot, like a couple gallons a day um, when I was biking a lot in Arizona in the summer. If you're not sure how much you need when you're doing activity, when you're running, you should do a sweat test. And it's not like you need to add a run to your program. You just take an extra five minutes to weigh yourself before and after and do a little calculation and you can figure out how much water you need to support your running. If you need to know how to do that, go look at the guide in this group. It will be in basic, it'll be under basic planning. It'll be very near the top. And if you want basic fluid intake for a normal day for most people, a good recommendation is at least half of your body weight in ounces. And most athletes would do better if they did half their body weight in ounces plus about 15. For me, that would be in the ballpark of 85, 90. And from a hydration perspective, that does include things like coffee and tea. They are mostly water. They're a hydrating liquid. If you drink them and then stop for a while, you will end up dehydrated because the caffeine will function as a diuretic. But if you drink some coffee in the morning and then shift into water steadily throughout your day, those count. I also see recommendations for salt or sodium based on time, which is insane. I do not base sodium intake during activity on time. It works fine for up to two hours. It does not work fine for an ultra athlete. You will end up deficient. And in fact, it doesn't really work well for anybody, but the longer you're going, the more likely you are to end up in trouble. So your body doesn't care how much time you've been running when it comes to sodium. It cares how much your blood is diluted. So if you intake half a liter of water on one like one hour run and two liters of water on another one hour run, your sodium intake should be different. And we just want to prevent hyponatremia, right? Like this is, this is a, a health thing. Like people need to be safe. So sodium intake or sodium recommendations based on time are not a good idea. If you're out for an hour, hour and a half, probably doesn't matter all that much. Um, but still, if you're going to intake sodium, base it on your water intake. And I also, and this is the one I'm most guilty of, like I'm about to be the biggest hypocrite in the world and I'm trying to get better at it, but I see very little mobility work or um, not necessarily stretching, but trying to get your joints and hips and muscles a little more limber. If we look at difference, flexibility is your range of motion and mobility is your control over that range of motion. And we need to be mobile if we're going to run well, because you want to have control over your range of motion so that you don't end up in a weird place. Like if your foot ends up way out here, if you have control there, you can bring it back. If you don't have any control there, then that's where we get hurt. So 
you don't need a lot of it. Kelly Starrett um, famously started in Mobility Wad about like a decade ago now, and he's moved in something called the Ready State, and his whole thing is 10 minutes a day of mobility work. Five would even be better than nothing, and yet we will often do something like 10 hours per week of running, some lifting or whatever on top of that, and yet when it comes to five minutes per day of mobility work, uh, we will say we don't have enough time, which is insane. That is really true. She don't have more time. She'd probably cut your running to nine hours and 25 minutes and then do five minutes at the end of your run. It'll be the same amount of total time and you will get less injured. If you want a good book on mobility work, uh, Ready to Run by Kelly Starrett, it's pretty solid. And there's also a woman I just learned of, so I can't, I haven't dove into her stuff too much, but it looks pretty good from a cursory scan called yoga15.com. It's you know, short. 15-minute yoga sessions designed for athletes. Take care of your hips and they'll take care of you. It's kind of a, a good idea. My hips are a little tighter and I notice them getting tighter as I've gotten into more running. So I need to install the mobility work to keep it, right? And then um, let's go back to diet real fast. This needed to be its own thing. Lack of carbs. Right? We ramp up training volume and intensity while eating a low-carb diet. And I know not everybody is doing this, but I see it a lot. And first off, I'm going to do a longer video on this and hydration coming soon, but low-carb doesn't even mean anything. Like Low-carb for someone who sits all day versus low-carb for a high-level athlete is different. And Keto, ketogenic diet, means something. It actually means you're producing ketones, but low carb is not a helpful term. And while um, fat adaptation, as I said a few weeks ago, through diet isn't useless, it's a strategy, one, for the off-season. So if you're within three months of a race, it's not a great choice for 99% of people. And on a six-month plan, it might make sense for it to be the first six to eight weeks then you would stop and start to reintroduce carbs and diet to support the increase in intensity and volume. And that was actually how it was originally done by Bob Sibahar for metabolic efficiency training. Cut carbs to the floor for about eight weeks. All of your running or endurance was very low intensity, fairly high volume, and then turn carbs back on as you re-added intensity and move towards race. And that's because carbs manage stress. When your insulin goes up, your cortisol drops. So if you're doing a bunch of stressful training and you live a stressful life, carbs could be the linchpin in helping you recover better. Pardon me. <coughs> All right, I get this upper respiratory tract infection every January. It's been super fun the past couple of years during COVID. Great times. Um, so, but anyway, pro athletes have stressful lives, so at least it's their job. So they can take a lot of their day to recover, to do mobility work, to eat a, eat a bunch. If you have jobs and kids and hobbies and you're still trying to perform at a high level, like you're not podiuming, but you're getting up there, you have a ton of stress and carbs can help manage those cortisol levels, especially if used like appropriately throughout your day. Personal example, when I don't eat some carbs through my day, I will often end up binging on them at night or at least having a craving to do so. My body is trying to tell me that I need to get cortisol in check 
And if I eat a little more carbohydrate spread out throughout my day, I don't end up with that huge crash and I end up with um, a lot less binging tendencies, right? And I was a proponent of um, one meal a day diet for a long time, not to other people, but for myself. And I've learned, especially as I've increased activity, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. It works for some people. It doesn't work for me. And it doesn't work for most people. So we need to do in regards to all injury things is play the long game. We need to go in a little slower. We need to identify where we are, where our deficiencies might be, whether it's tendon issues, you can know that if you've had a lot of them in the past. Muscle strength, probably know that. Um, some level of endurance, do you know how much you're hydrating? Do you know how much you should be eating? Once we identify those starting points, we we'll have a lot better chance of success in the long-term and injury prevention. It's not a guarantee, but it gives you a better chance. And if you do get injured, take a day off. A day off can prevent a month off. And just because it feels better when you start to run doesn't mean it's not something. So this is particularly true for things like tendon injuries. Once you warm up, they will often start to feel better. And then as soon as you stop, they will hurt again and then you wake up the next morning and they hurt, if that is the pattern you're seeing, you probably need to take a day, do some mobility, and maybe take a walk if you're able to walk without pain. But we need to take care of ourselves. And again, if you need an unplanned rest day to prevent injury, take it. I took one today because I woke, woke up with a sore calf. I can tell it's better now. It was definitely the smart call. Um, I'm trying to crank my volume more aggressively than I probably should. I'm not worried about bone, muscle, food, hydration. Most of those check boxes I'm hitting well. I have years of heavy strength training that keep my bones, that have kept my bones really strong. I've tracked my calories enough to know that I'm eating enough and I'm fueling appropriately, but my tendons and my ligaments are my weak point. So if I see even like a twinge there, unplanned rest day, um, and that might look like a walk in some mobility. And that's largely what today is going to be. Even some strength training can be good depending on what your injury is, but don't do the thing that's going to make it worse. What you need for injury prevention is almost certainly different from what I need or what your training partner needs. But it all comes down to smart training and proper recovery. We get injured when we push too hard and don't give our body enough time or resources to recover from that push. And I just want you to take care of yourself so you can keep doing this for years to come and enjoying it because injuries suck. I've had a lot of them and I don't want anybody else to have them. That's why I, one of the main reasons I do this entire thing that I do. So thanks for hanging around. If you want a summary, drop it in the comments or shoot me a message and I will get you a summary, a, a written summary of this with links and all this stuff. And again, thanks for sticking around. I'm going to go do some mobility stuff, and I will be back next week with another one of these. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.